Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Spit. Scott Bass and David Lee Scales here with you on this Wednesday, December 27th, the year 2017. The time flying by, David. Just the tail end of 2017, man. Only a few days left. Good morning. We're sitting in the parking lot at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. They no longer allow us in the building. That's right. Got ousted. (laughs) No, we kid. We're here early. And it's a holiday week, so there's probably not anybody here anyway. They listen to our previous shows, and they're like, we want no affiliation with you guys. Will you please stop saying our name? We never once agreed to this. Why do you keep hanging out here? So now we loiter in their parking lot. Exactly. They can't get rid of us. This is a public lot. So there's two men in a truck with microphones uh, in their early morning on a Wednesday for most people. And um, it probably looks a little strange. But I'm amazed that we're sitting in this truck dude when i saw your instagram post earlier in the week i was like well i guess we need a new studio my car's not big enough for the two of us i know right so if you don't know my truck was stolen from my uh driveway on the 21st at 2 30 in the morning now on the 20th of december i had gone out to san marcos to have my um guitars kind of tuned up by a luthier out there And while I was waiting, I was like, oh, you know what? I'll have my oil changed while I'm waiting. My gut intuition is that they have my address. They have my fob key. They made a little mimic copy. They copied the code somehow. Wow. And then the guy, and again, this is all just like Scott Bass, NCIS conspiracy. I I don't have anything to back this up. Like, I'm not trying to. But it was the one thing that was out of the normal in your life was going to that place and then the next day something out of the normal happens yeah and as you know i have it on video and the nature of the video is that they just kind of pull right up to my house and walk up and nonchalantly open my car and get in and drive away yeah there was no um like breaking into it yeah no slim jimming no i saw one of the comments on instagram said and i've heard this before is that there's some sort of a um a device that you can get that um, amplifies the range of your key fob. So if your key fob's in your house, and let's say it only really goes 20 feet, they walk up with this amplifier and they can source the the fob from 50 feet away, say, and then pop the doors open, which I think is pretty interesting. But then how do they drive your car out? Like I know that would work to start the car, but once you're down the street, it would no longer be receiving that signal. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that... Your, your thing yeah. might have more value. Than I don't know. I'm not sure. But um, the good news is, as you mentioned, we're in my truck now because the city of Carlsbad. So I reported the truck stolen, obviously, and they took down my license plate number. And they put this license plate number out on San Diego County, you know, police Eight. authority or whatever. Right. So all the, all the police agencies have the license plate. And the city of Carlsbad has this thing. I just found out it's like a big brother thing. When you drive through the city of Carlsbad, they they take every single license plate. They take a picture of it and they run it through this database. And they ran my plate through this database. It came up stolen truck and the cops immediately, boom, boom, pulled the guy over and he's in jail now. And um, 
I think, unless he made bail, the cops said it was a pretty high bail, which means it wasn't his first offense. Wow. I'm just waiting to hear from the district attorney as the victim of this crime to find out what's next. But, or where he works. Does he work at the at the oil place? Well, my feeling is the guy, if, if in fact, again, I don't want to poo-poo no. the hardworking guys at the oil place, yeah. but if there's a bad apple there, my feeling is he's like... This what he does is he sells the fob and the information to right, it, to right, it, right, right. you know like he's like hey give me a half gram of meth I'll give you a fob and this guy's address you can do whatever you want I don't care you know yeah they trade in meth I didn't know that that's a meth <laughs> meth trade it's either Bitcoin or meth well um what was your your follow up Instagram post I think I saw yesterday was actually a lot more generous and kind than I expected the follow up to be. Well, you're showing you, forgiveness. Well, right. I'm, and, and frankly, I had, I had forgiven these people beforehand. But um, yeah, you know, look. The fact of the matter is, if you boiled down, if you took a hard look at my life, have I ever stolen something? Probably, I would. Answers: Yes, yeah. I have. And. Did I want to be forgiven for that? And the answer is yes, I do. And so if I want to be forgiven for something, then I too have to be of the forgiving nature, you know, yeah. have a forgiving nature. And so um, it's just part of a spiritual journey. You know, you got to forgive to be forgiven. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so well, I don't want to nice get too into the philosophy of Scott, but that's kind of where I'm coming from. I think that's the most important part of the show, Scott. Really? The philosophy. Yeah, the philosophy Nobody Scott. cares about surfing. I, I would agree with that. They care about <laughs> why surfing and surfing. who surfs and all that sort of surfing stuff. Surfing is really, surfing <laughs> culture is really kind of spiraled downward, I think. Uh, well, I think the more the more compelling stories are the ones, again, just the people who surf, you know, and like, yeah. why are those people, what surfing does in their life, that sort of thing. But um, when I saw your original post, obviously it was right before Christmas and I was obviously that sucks. It's bad timing and it's never cool for that to happen. It's also a violation when it happens right in your driveway. It's a violation no matter what. But you also normally have golf clubs in your car, all sorts of stuff. Did you lose anything? No, I had taken everything out of my car. I had, I didn't lose a thing. I lost Why my sunglasses. Okay, no big deal. And my parking pass. This is a new parking oh, pass. Oh, that's a bummer. The and parking my, pass sucks. And I still need sunglasses. But um, So, good question. I, I, I think I washed my car, so I pulled everything out. But how often do you actually empty your car? Because I've never seen it. Empty. You mean how often do I wash it? Is really what you're either asking. either or? They're part and parcel. That's proprietary information right. that I can't give up because really it's so often that you might think me a clean freak. Fair enough. Right. Um, so at any rate, your your uh, sentiment, your follow up sentiment of forgiveness. I felt a similar thing Christmas morning. I was actually driving down to your area, not Christmas morning, Christmas afternoon, evening. I was driving down to Del Mar because I have family down there and uh, got stuck on the freeway for two and a half hours at Pendleton. There was an accident right at Oceanside Harbor, like the very first exit in that stretch mm -hmm. between San Clemente. So we got stuck in traffic in Pendleton and there's nowhere to exit, period. There's no way to turn around, completely blocked. Uh, I mean, like not even stop and go, just stop. And so we pull it up on maps, and of course, it shows that the road is closed. They closed the five freeway. So we sat there, not moving, for five and a, or I'm sorry, for two and a half hours. Wow. Christmas evening. Wow. And I felt 
obviously tons of frustration, had to pee, like so angry, just really upset, trying to make it to our Christmas evening destination. They're waiting for us. The meat's already cooked. You know, it's like we're just unbelievably pissed. Then we get to the scene of the accident and you immediately instantaneously feel grateful that you're even still in your car moving. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like went from pure frustration and anger to, oh, well, I'm arriving at my destination today. So that's a better thing. And yeah, all of it washed away. Like zero showed up to our destination feeling the Christmas spirit again and grateful for everything. You know, that's interesting. I, I have one of those. Uh, I follow one of those feeds on my twitter account that has traffic you know like and i remember seeing that i remember oh, going did. through my thing going, oh harbor drives there's a traffic it's been closed the fives have been closed southbound what a nightmare that must be thank yeah. god i'm not in that yep <laughs> you know and uh, well so that must we made been. the mistake of yesterday looking up the news story Uh-oh. and hearing the horrible details of it yeah there was mm. a few fatalities and stuff it's terrible yeah so i wish i didn't look it up i heard 23 fatalities this holiday season down from 36 this is in the state of california last year so less fatalities but way more duis oh really and it brings up an interesting thing um the concept of a dui for marijuana like if you get pulled over for for a dui and the cop like looks in and goes have you been smoking weed Mm -hmm. and your car is billowing with weed smoke and maybe there's a roach or a bong or something i don't know and you get busted for DUI like how do they tell like with it's with alcohol it's pretty obvious get out of the car you're going to walk this line you're going to repeat the alphabet backwards yeah. whatever their field sobriety test may be what's the field sobriety test for marijuana I don't know if there's field sobriety but there's got to be a scientific like like the breathalyzer equivalent I would think I don't I don't know how it works um, a friend of mine well, had this happen to them which is why I bring it up yeah um, of course I don't I don't partake of marijuana but I know, um, like, you can, they drug test you, you know, for your place of employment or whatever, where you pee in a cup, and that takes time, obviously, to, like, process the results. But there's got to be a faster version of that, I would think. Well, marijuana, right, it, it stays in your system way longer than alcohol. Like, marijuana clings to your fatty sure. tissues, or so I've been told. So, to just pull you out and take a blood test isn't a valid test. But there's got to be an all, I don't an know. instantaneous, like so. a swab of the mouth or something. something. Um, but that will be interesting because, by the way, next week... Right. Marijuana be or yeah, marijuana sales become legal in California. And of course it's legal to have a beer and drive, it just as it's probably legal to take a hit of marijuana and drive as long as what's the you're legal not, limit. And, yeah, how do you what is unsafe driving? You know, like we know that I'll it's zero point eight or yeah, point zero eight yeah. for alcohol. But what is that like? It just seems so like nobody's told us. I get. I just don't feel like anyone's really. Well, the information it. I'm sure is out there. We haven't heard it yet, but we could probably find it. But I will tell you something. I drove home from that Christmas party at one a.m. tired. Yes, and that was the most dangerous driving I've done in a long time, dude. And I've had a couple glasses of wine at dinner and driven home and feel totally lucid and fine. Yeah, this. I felt like I was drunk. You were unsafe. Totally unsafe. I talked. Dude. To, I was talking to a buddy about this. The marijuana discussion turned into this: Is it unsafe to drive? I mean, is it illegal to drive tired? And the answer is yes. It must it be because be. it's it's illegal to drive in an unsafe manner. So if you're tired, you're unsafe. There was a couple times where I was like not nodding off, but definitely like not focused. Yeah. You know, and then I just thought I was like, "Did I drink a lot tonight? Like, what's going on?" And it wasn't that; it was just I was so exhausted. Yeah, run ragged from the couple of days of uh, 
the holiday. So I think the maybe the marijuana field sobriety test is you get out of your car and the guy just like puts a donut in front of you. And <laughs> he's like, if you just are slowly you start chewing on it for uh, like, oh man, I've got the some best Skittles ever, ever. <laughs> you start chewing on the package of the Skittles. You could probably uh, do a pretty good Saturday Night Live skit with that. Um, well, how was Christmas, by the way? Christmas was wonderful. Was it? Yeah. My sister-in-law's in town and we're enjoying the time together and kids are great. Things are fine. I mean, I got my truck back and... Christmas miracle. <laughs> what, what day did you get it back? On uh, Chris, Like before Christmas or after? I think it was the 24th Amazing. or something like that. Yeah. Like, you couldn't script this. It's very close to the time that the that the mother Mary was... What's the term? Uh, Help me out. I'm not sure. Giving birth? No. Um, yeah, giving birth, I yeah. guess. I mean, in, I don't know which story you're referring I to. But, I, don't, I don't know how it works either. Um, she so, conceived Christ at some point. But not on Christmas Day. The About conception this, this, wasn't Christmas No, the Day. same time that my truck was given back to me. <laughs> I think oh, an, angel Mother got, Mary. an angel got its wings for sure. Uh, um, so your kids, are they too old to like, is it still fun? Is Christmas a, still fun? When a cop eats a donut, an angel gets its wings. When um, a pulled yeah. over DUI marijuana Look, I've driver got teenagers. kids donut. Yeah, right. Whoops. <laughs> Did I just mess it up? No. Uh, yeah, kids are great. Kids had fun. Kids, I, I think my son got a surfboard, and I know he got a surfboard. And What did he get? Skateboards. He got a Channel Islands twin fin. What? Oh, that one that you've been loving? Didn't no. you have one that you... Not that one. Uh, I wouldn't let that one go. Not that exact one. I thought maybe yeah, you got similar, a replica because yeah. you loved it so much. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah. How about you? Do you get the enough CIA? about me? Okay, yeah. How about what do you, you? want? To... What'd you get for Christmas? So, dude, I think. Are you, you married were... yet? Are you engaged? What's the deal? No, man. Don't see any rings. Not at all. Not at all. Enjoying Christmas with one another's families, though. That's a step oh, in the right direction. Cool. Yeah, that's very good. Um, so I'm on a kick that I think you'll totally appreciate. Plant-based diet. Vinyl. Oh, that is cool. Not a vinyl-based diet, just straight-up vinyl I'm records. Kinda, I'm kind of envious. That's Are you? cool, yeah. Uh, I'm, so I got, I'm glad for you. Yeah, tell I, me about I it. I got a record player um, what kind? in October. Just like a basic one. Off, I think Jensen is the brand. Is that the? Is that? Is there like a specific one that's really cool and no. uber they're, great? They're all super cool now and have like Bluetooth capability and all sorts of like right. modern whatever. Right, right. But they're, they're inexpensive. So I got one in October. And started embracing the lifestyle and like going vinyl shopping what do you mean, and all that. The sort of vinyl stuff. lifestyle, okay. Dude, so it's, shopping, it's a commitment. You go to record stores, paging through individual records to find what you want takes time. Okay, I have this link I got to send you. Please, it's called EstateSales.net. Okay, and I subscribe to it every day. I get a thing in my mailbox that says, "There's an estate sale near you." You wouldn't believe how much vinyl. And you have to go to. You got to go to okay. it, and they're. You know, just there will be one up where you live. There'll okay. be estate sales up where you live. Perfect. I would love to do but that. But down where I live, there's some pretty killer estate sales. You yeah. know, like out oh, in the Rancho yeah, and stuff, and it's ridiculous, some of the stuff. Yeah. And there's there's literally guys with thousands of pieces of vinyl that have right. passed away, and they're just like, I don't know, 25 cents each, you know? And right. I'll buy the whole lot for 100 bucks. Maybe. Yeah. And you're, man, I don't know. I'm not, well, I'm not into it, but... Okay, so my thing is, initially I was like buying a couple of albums that... 
um, just paying full price for them. And then I realized that's the stupidest strategy. Everything is available used and you can find you like I bought Sergeant Peppers for $4, you know, like you can get stuff so inexpensively, but that requires, um, patience because you go to these record stores and then you have to thumb through all these old albums and it just takes time, but it's fun. Yeah. So you get a coffee sure. when you don't have time, when the waves are flat and you're just like, I'm going to spend a Saturday morning doing this. Yeah. And so I'm slowly building my collection that way. And I, I walk out of there with like 10 new albums for literally $30 and you just feel like you've made a killing. That's you know? so cool. But then what, to answer your question of like, what is the lifestyle? Putting something on, mm -hmm. listening from beginning to end, mm -hmm. not rushing it, not cherry picking. And it's all, it's mostly albums I've already listened to a bunch throughout my life, but I yeah. didn't really give them their full due. Right. Now I am. Then you flip it over, you do it again and your hands are dirty because you're cooking or something. So you don't even want to like pull out a different album. You're just going to stick with that one, flip it over and just play it again. Then there's an energy, dude. I'm telling you like out of the record player into your analog. It, it is, man. Yeah. There's something going on that's different because you just absorb the music differently. I, I agree with it's you. It's radical. Yeah. So you're you're emotionally more Well, it's committed. not compressed either, right? So right. the analog's insane. Like, yeah. It's a better sound, period. Now, I, at the risk of interrupting, I've heard that, because my buddy does this, and he says when you buy new vinyl now, it's rad. It's like thicker, sturdier, scratch-resistant, and super analog. Like, I mean, at not that what... The used ones aren't, but you're, you obviously you're not going to get the potential of a scratched one or whatever. Right. I have two brand new albums, and they are. Yeah, they're, they're pricey. Twenty five bucks. I paid forty. Wow. For one of them because it was like rare, What's limited, it? whatever. How, what was it? Tracy Chapman's first album. Like I know that's a weird <laughs> one. It's amazing. It's an amazing album. Really. I only bought it for nostalgia because my mom played it a lot when I was a kid. Mm. But it's amazing from beginning to end. Yes. Uh, that Revolution song. Fast Car, you know some of the hits. Fast Car. You want to know the first album I ever bought, though? Yes. When I got my record player, I was like, all right, dude, the first one matters. Can I guess? You can guess. Um, will I be able to guess? Is you it? know this album well, but I don't think you would guess that I liked it. Um, can you give me a genre? Yeah, he came. Well, it's a he? Shoot, he, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's Bob a, Dylan. It's a seminal album. No, but great guess because I bought a bunch of that. It's a seminal album, but um, he was best known as a duet, and then he went off and had a solo career. Kenny Loggins? Paul Simon. Oh, okay. Graceland. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's great. Album. Yeah. But I did buy the Almond Brothers. Is it Which one? Brothers and Sisters? Is that the name? That's of one it? of them, yeah. Yeah, that's the one with Jessica on it. Probably, yeah. Yeah, that's an epic album. Yeah. Whew. Neil Young, bunch of Dylan. Killer. Um We had I had such a classic Christmas conversation at one of these parties with like three guys about First of all, about albums and about how our... It was a classic old guys conversation. We were like lamenting that our children don't get to enjoy albums. Mm -hmm. Of course, this topic's been brought up over and over and everyone gets it. If you've lived in the album era, you understand what you just mentioned. Putting an album on, looking at the album cover, going through it, reading the liner notes, all of that stuff that is involved in the culture of, exactly. of vinyl. And, um, and then we went to... <laughs> we eventually got to... You know what are the greatest albums and of course dylan comes up and then it came out you know who actually likes dylan you know and, and then so i good. saw on your instagram the yeah. next day or something you had this conversation with Chaz, right yeah because he so, used it as like he was writing about the wave pool and he was like i want to be on the right side of history and when you look back at dylan's um career the famous playing the newport film uh, the newport newport rock 
folk festival, sorry, folk festival. He was the headliner. He electrified, right? Exactly. Yeah. He was like the icon of folk, but he felt like they were kind of using him as a yeah. shill to move their thing forward. And he went complete 180 and went rock and roll. And they hated he electrified. him electrified. Pete Seeger was backstage with an axe going to cut the cables. Yeah. And Pete Seeger's the most docile, gentle dude ever, and he's going to cut the cables. And Dylan's just like, they're calling Judas. Right. Everybody's booing him. And he's just like, F it turn it up and then just starts playing like a rolling stone like rock and roll or it was maggie's farm actually but um that's so cool and so it's a great story and the thing about him is he did that multiple times see i like dylan for that i just don't necessarily like dylan's music like i like his acts yeah you know i like all i like his values you know what i mean everyone likes his values because he's like this guy that hasn't sold out so to speak i don't know what that means maybe he has but the thing about Dylan, and this is where our conversation went the other at this dinner party, was all the guys that I really like, Neil Young, Petty, um, you know, you name it. There's not one guy that doesn't look to Dylan and just bow down. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so how can I therefore not bow down if all the guys that I look to it, bow down to Dylan? I have to bow down to Dylan, even though I think he sounds like Floyd the Barber from the Andy Griffith show. You have to overlook that part of it. You have to overlook the whining vocals because there's so much more depth than that. And yeah. for the, for those guys, it was culturally relevant. Like they were going through times as a nation that they needed a spokesperson and they needed, you know, a guiding light and like doing six minute long songs hadn't been done. Like he informed the Beatles, like he sang at Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Wow. You know, like just unbelievable, historical, iconic moments. But that's why the folk people were so pissed at him. They're like, you're our guy. And now you're singing about being an independent, being a rolling stone and having nobody that relates to you. That's not the folk thing. The folk thing's all about community. So then he went and did that, but then he gave us blood on the tracks, which was like a seminal. And so then... But what about the We Are The World thing he that you so posted? Good. So that is so great. So good. Maybe tell the listeners the picture. The, so We Are The World, 19... I don't know, late 80s maybe? Late 80s when we were all trying to save. It was like a Live Africa, Aid thing or a Farm AIDS, Aid thing yeah. or something. And he's standing... He's- they got all the celebrities together in a room to sing that song. And it's a big ensemble you know choir Michael Jackson's there and he's singing he's sitting there with the headphones on not mouthing a single word (laughs) at all he's clearly stoned out of his mind (laughs) and not even able to comprehend where he is he can barely keep his eyes open he's kind of rocking back and forth but even that isn't to the beat and everybody's like we are the world like happy like Whitney Houston they're all big smiles and he's just sitting there like can barely stand up it's amazingly funny to me I don't know so so Chaz is worried about where he stands on which side of history is is Chaz our Bob Dylan not at all (laughs) so not our Bob Dylan but he was just like you know I want to make sure that I'm not vilifying the wave pool if like I end up being the guy flying the folk flag back in the day when Dylan's going on to make blood on the tracks and blonde on blonde and all that other stuff so um, well maybe we should start talking about surf because I can talk about this for a long time with you I don't even care about surf no we do (laughs) Pipe Masters happened. All sorts of stuff happened. We have a new world champ. All sorts of things. So yeah, that's I'm almost down. old news. I'm down. Um, Whatever you want. I know you've probably spoke already about that stuff, but I, I will say this: I have, say. I have, I have, I have so much. Not I've always had. <laughs> although there was a time in this show a long time ago, there was a period when Jeremy Flores. This was probably his rookie year on tour. I don't even know what year it was, but Chopu was pumping, and. There was like three heats, uh, like maybe 
quarters, semis, and finals to go. And it was huge. It was massive. It might have been the Code Red Swell. I don't remember, but it was massive Chopu. So big that they all got together and went, hey, should we even do this? Yeah. You know, like, let's just all call equal points and leave. And Andy Irons is like, what the hell? You got to be kidding me, you know? And Jeremy Flores was the one that was like, I vote we bail. And, you know, and he was probably 19 years old, you know, yeah. maybe. Because he's still young. Yeah. He, he was on tour young, right? But so my point is, is that back then I was like, what? You got to surf Code Red, you know, Code Red Chopu to prove you're the champion, which yeah. has always been my thing. You got to surf massive waves to be a champ. Uh, but now I, 20 years, I don't know, maybe 15 years later. Uh, I'm just such a big fan of Jeremy Flores, and I'm so stoked. Even though it was very anticlimactic, and there was definitely a part of me that wanted John John to win it all, there's something about Jeremy Flores that that I'm a much bigger fan now. Part of it is that he called out the whole system live. He did a Bobby Martinez, but did it in a really good way, yeah. which was needed. Yeah. I think it's important that somebody on that tour kind of stand up and raise your hand and go, hey... You guys, screw you, because it, it's really, the power structure's really gone away from the, the surfers. Mm. Their leverage is out. Completely agree. I'll back up a little bit. I agree with you about the Jeremy Flores thing, where what I've liked about, I don't know, the way that surfing's developed over, I don't know, the time that I've been following it, is we get to track these guys' careers for more than just a couple of years. Like, we've known Jeremy now to be on tour for, what, 10 years or something, and I go from hating the guy to loving the guy to I have all these mixed emotions and I'm on board with you now where it's like I do love the guy. I've seen when he was a cocky, arrogant little punk and I've seen him grow through that. I've seen him mature and it's been really fun to watch that evolution. The swell that you're talking about I don't think was the Code Red swell. I remember he was very... He was one of the few heats that ran that morning. I think one of two heats and I think he might have even gotten a 10 during the code red swell and then they called off the event and he continued to charge in the free surf but the swell you're talking about I this think was, was his rookie year code it red. was his yeah. rookie year so um i'm a huge fan as well and i did love that when he uh he beat gabriel before the elimination round like he had that priority situation with gabe where gabe was kind of blocking him on waves and then you're right he beat him and then in the post heat interview he was like this is i'm used to um like fighting the establishment was the term that he used. I'm used to fighting the establishment, so it's all good. I just know I need to go get go out there and get an 8.5, and that's what I did. It's like, that's right, Jeremy. That is yeah. what you did. Yeah, it was cool. So rad. Dude. It was really good. And um, that event, obviously, is very entertaining. Um, it had some... Obviously, the waves weren't super great. There were some moments. Competitively. Say round three, that was really horrible. But competitively... It was an exciting event to watch, even if the waves weren't. Well, there was that one heat where John John needed a score with a couple minutes left and just got out there and got it yeah. and moved on. Like I forget who it was against, but well, I had given up on him. Can I, read? I think he had lost his board or something, and he... Somehow he, with like three minutes left, he needed an 8-5, and he went out and like got it. Yeah. Boom. The one, was it the one against Ethan Ewing? Yes. Because that one, Ethan also got a wave that everybody feels he got underscored. Oh, no, it wasn't that. Okay. Uh, that one, you, I, I, I texted you on that yeah. one. I was kind of like, uh, I well, don't so know. In that round, it was John John versus Ethan Ewing. We all felt like Ethan Ewing got robbed and John John should have made it through or shouldn't have made I it through. Have robbed, but it was so it was close. close. It could have gone either way. It was kind of felt like, well, it's John John, so let's just give him the nod. That's exactly what it was. I felt like Ethan should have won by half a point. 
and John John ended up winning by half a point. But then later in that round, Gabriel came up against Josh Kerr, and essentially the same thing happened. Yes. Like, Gabriel kind of got a pass with a half a point acknowledgement. So they both got a pass, which then made it feel like it was okay. Um, but can, can I read you something that Nick Carroll wrote on sure. his Surfline recap? Yes. Under the kind of title of, is John John the most casual world title winner ever? So Nick Carroll's recap on Surfline, he said, quote, Gabriel Medina is the black hat villain, and yesterday he played the villain to perfection. Not only did he push Kelly, Kelly into a combo position within 10 minutes, he then dared to play the priority card on the master, and I bet Kelly secretly loved it. He'd have seen in that moment the thing he lives for, the competitive Thunderdome, where, where all your skills and senses are stretched. This heat and the one Gabriel then lost to Jeremy was the sharp end. It told you what actual competition looks like. If Kelly were 25 years old today and not 45, you wouldn't need to invent a narrative. You'd just need to wait for the next heat, and it'd be K versus G to the death. Now, quote, but that's not really John John's style. The world champ sets the tempo, and John's tempo is not quite that of any world champ we've seen before. He's not the incarnate warrior or the semi-Asperger's genius or the stubborn journeyman who refuses to lose. And he sure isn't Kelly Slater. He doesn't do rivalries and least not at least not in the conventional manner. It's part of why he doesn't have, uh, have an instinct for running a heat. It's like the opposition isn't there. It seems to fall off his back like water. Yeah, great writing, good, good, great insight. I totally agree. I mean... If he's the the hero with the white hat on, he doesn't know that he's wearing the hat, you know? And I don't think with the white hat you need to know. You know, I think it's important that Gabe... Gabe has done a great job of living up to the guy that we love to hate. Mm -hmm. And thank God for that. I don't know? think Gabe knows it either. I don't either. Probably not in Brazil. He's probably surrounded by so much... In, the, in Brazil, he's probably the white hat guy. But yeah. I think in the global perspective... At least from North American perspective, he's and Australian. Yeah, he's uh, the black-hatted villain. So I I think to Nick Carroll's point is that with Gabe or with John John being the best surfer in the world and winning world titles doing it, um, we're never going to really have that rivalry that we think the WSL needs and that you and I certainly enjoy watching. It's just he doesn't care. He's too aloof. And he's too much of a natural talent to even, you know, he's just. You mean the argument could be made that Gabe Medina is the greatest competitive surfer today? Competitive, as far as I, like I think that's you know mapping totally, out a strategy yeah. work because John John's so on an ethereal level, he just paddles out and catches good waves and rips. Yeah, you know, and you don't sense that he's like, okay, Ross told me to do this or Ross told me to do that. Yeah. You know? Whereas Gabe's got fifteen people going, all right, the wave comes here every three seconds. Do this, do that. You know, and he goes out and he does it. Does it and pushes right up against the criteria and the judging uh, rules, you know, like forces them to create new rules because he's pushing them outside their own boundaries of what's acceptable. Um, so here's a question then. Do you feel like the best surfer in the world won the world title this year? Well, you mean the best competitive surfer, the best no, no, no. CT surfer? What do you mean the I best think, surfer in I the world? I think in our ultimate scenario, right. we would like to think that the best surfer in the world wins the world title and is the world Oh, champion. there's no doubt in my mind that John John Florence is the best surfer in the world right okay, now. Okay, so it worked out this year. Yeah. So the w we need to pat the WSL on the back then. Well, unless you look at that Ethan Ewing heat and you say to yourself, hmm, 
Well, not who won each individual heat, but... Overall champ. Overall champ at yeah. the end of the year, did the best surfer in the world in 2017, win the world title. Yeah, you know, in the Ethan Ewing heats, really, it wasn't John John's fault, so to speak. It was the ways are crappy. Yeah. I right. mean, it wasn't pipe. You right. know what I mean? Right, right. Real pipe. And right. so, um, yes, John John Florence, no doubt in my mind. I think, I think I agree with you completely. So let me ask you this. Did the best surfer... Of the Pipe Masters win the Pipe Masters. What do you mean? Jeremy Flores. Do you think he was the best surfer in that event? Yeah. I do too. No, There's no doubt. Yeah. I think he was the best surfer in the event and the best competitive surfer in the event. The way yeah. The way that he kind of dug in uh, when his back was against the wall, got the scores he needed, especially in that final with 16 to, seconds left. To, to beat John John in the final with all the culmination of it's John John's day. Yeah. And by the way, kind of got a tip of the hat to the judges because they easily could have went, it's John John's day. Let's just give it to him. Not that they think like that, but there's got to be some subconscious. Because you, you texted is. me. You're like, case in point, it might have been the Ethan Ewing heat. You're like, case in point, they need to adopt a situation where the judges don't know the score that's needed. Right. Which is, you know, something we've been call- you've been calling for and I've been agreeing with for years. But But how could they not be influenced by the world title race the cheers on the beach maybe right, them exactly. loving john john like of course you're yeah. going to be subject to all of that emotion right. um but couldn't, I, couldn't I, they be removed from the beach altogether completely yeah yeah there's no need for them to be there so i do agree though uh jeremy flores best surfer in the event and thrilled to watch him win i think it worked out just nicely for all of us where john john wins the world title jeremy wins the pipe masters so it's kind of like everybody wins gabe loses which means we win um, I have a question, though, yeah. also. If 2018 is the last year where the Pipe Masters is the final event of the season, mm-hmm. in the foreseeable future anyways, yes. Yes. John John has not won a Pipe Masters yet. Will he win a Pipe Masters event as the clincher for the season? If he doesn't win next year, he might never get the chance. He grew up his whole life wanting this goal. And well, he'll be able to win the Pipeline Masters. It just won't be the final event, right? Kind of matters, though, right? I think it does to wrap up the season. I think that it's way. a. Now we're getting into a whole interesting topic. But Let's do it. Um, pipe Masters. John John wins it next year. If it's real pipe, anything, and not even real pipe. Just you know, pipe is breaking. It's not hideous Northwell sand bottom yeah. back door. Yeah. Um, here's. I, I wonder though if that if that weighs on John like. His whole life, his goal was to like finish the season with a world title, winning the Pipe Masters. I think it does. He hasn't yet won it. He's been on tour for six years now. I think this is his sixth Pipe Masters. I think if it didn't, tour. it does now. Because I think that he, I think that he thought he shed that monkey towards the end of that heat. I think he might have already cashed it in. Yeah. And it's easy to see why he may have. You know, like I mean, it seemed as if it was his. I was surprised. Sixteen that seconds left. And you know, oh. Isn't it true that he did that to Jamie O'Brien in the Vulcan Pipe Pro? Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, here's your... What if I was to say to you, David Scales, here's your 2018 CT surfers. John John Florence, Gabe Medina, Julian Wilson, Jordy Smith, Matt Wilkinson, Owen Wright, Chloe Andino, Adriano DeSouza, Joel Parkinson, Philippe Tidlito, Sebastian Zietz, Mick Vanning, Kelly Slater, Ian Govea, Griffin Colapinto, and Jesse Mendez. Would you be stoked? Happy? Seems like a pretty solid crew. 
I'm pretty stoked. I'd like Kelly's name on there, but I'm stoked. Okay, that's 16 guys. Oh. That's okay. the top 16 that I think that they need to adopt. And by the way, when you were talking about... I could I could see an entire tour, an entire year where it's just John, John, and, and Gabe. Yeah. How rad would that be? That would be must-watch TV. It would Every be must, event. Yeah. yeah. Every it, event, two guys, three hours, perfect waves, go get it. I think... There's leaving a lot of exciting things off the table there, right. but you're right. That would be must-watch TV. None of us would not not watch it. Exactly. We'd all watch it. Thank you. Yeah. So I boiled it down. That leaves a lot of people off, but who did I leave off that you're like, oh, I can't believe you left him off? Kelly. No, Kelly's on. Oh, he is. The top I didn't 16. see that. No, he's in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who, who did I leave off? Do you want me to go through it again? Um, is there anybody where you're just like, ugh? No. Yeah, that's my point. You said Felipe, you said Mick, right? Yeah, that's my point. Like, there's guys that if I said their names, you'd be like, yeah, it'd be fun to watch him surf in it, you know, and I would agree with you, but but I want a boiled down version. Yeah, boil it down. I left off Conor O'Leary. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised you said that because he's actually kind of exciting. He's super, he's ripping, but really? I left off. I don't remember a single Another guy who I think may be. The second best competitive surfer on tour, Kano Igarashi. That guy's got a competitive. Yeah, and you know what? He's got it down. And we're not giving him enough credit. Like, he's finaled at the Pipe Masters in his rookie season. This year, I think he made the semis, maybe the quarters at the you, worst. You'd be a fool to not put him on your pipe team next year. I, and I put him on this year, too. Because he was like 3.25 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's a super solid list, man. And by the way, you threw Jesse Mendez on there because you're gracious. Well, I took even the two QS. I took okay. the two. I took the top twelve, the two wild cards, Kelly and Govea. Okay. And I took the top two QS guys. Okay. So each year, two QS guys get to go on the sixteen. So you're scrambling to, to do good on the QS. Yeah. And it makes QS kind of exciting. Only two guys. You're right. It does. And by the way, uh, Jer- Jesse Mendez has been flirting with that top 10 on the QS for the last couple of years. He just barely didn't qualify. But really? You mentioned Connor O'Leary. I feel like he's another Connor O'Leary. He's another Wiggly Dantes. He's another Mark Lacomere. Like that... That. Are you excited that William Cardoso is on the tour next year? I'm more excited about Cardoso than I am Mendez because at least Cardoso has one real... He's like he's a threat. He's no, a he's known a threat. threat. He, no, he's a threat because he's the one. Pow- he's like this uh, over-the-top power surfer. Yeah, he's not as well-rounded as Jesse Mendez at all. Yeah, but that over-the-top power surfer allows for the ability of tens and twos, and I yeah. like that about it. Yeah, I like that he could go out there and just do two big turns at bells and get a ten out of it. Whereas I feel like with the Mendez approach, you're gonna get eight backside wraps. Or hacks that maybe he'll get like a seven five for, and that's not as exciting to me. There Mendes does sick airs though too. There are ten QS guys that qualified. Yeah, I'm going to list them for you. Okay, I want you to give me the two that would qualify under my scenario. Okay, here's the ten that qualified: Griffin, Colapinto, Jesse Mendez, Wade Carmichael, Thomas Hermes, Yago Dora, William Cardoso. Keanu Singh, Zeke Lau, Michael Rodriguez, and Patrick Godowskis. Which two stick out that you're like, those are the two I want to see on the CT? Yago Dora and Wade Carmichael. I agree with I agree, I'm, I agree with Yago, and, and I'm kind of down with Griffin. 
Yeah, a lot of people hate that I love uh, Wade Carmichael, but it's a passion play for me. I just like. I, I just like him but I agree with you <laughs> I, I couldn't even pick him out of a lineup I know is he a goofy foot or a regular regular uh, <laughs> but I agree with you Griffin Colapinto is everybody's pick and it's a smart pick the kid looks super well rounded yeah. he looks like Kaloe Andino 2.0 yeah. remember when Kaloe came and everybody's like he's going to be top 10 his entire career that's how I feel about Griff or that's how everybody feels about Griff yeah well, it'll be interesting there's almost a bit of it feels like it's he he set up for a sophomore slump his freshman year because because it seems like his freshman year was this year in Hawaii and now he's a sophomore even though it's really not he's his first year on tour he's a rookie. So my my question mark with Griffin is he just seems like a kid. Like oh, every God, does he even shave? I don't think so. Every time they interview him and I see it like his surfing looks super manly and I don't mean to minimize any of that like power turns all that sort of stuff looks unbelievable especially at spots like Sunset and Haleiwa. But then they interview him, and I'm like, "Oh, who's this teenager that they're talking? They're like getting this kid's perspective on the triple crown." No, that's Griffin Colapinto. So I wonder how, just mentally, no matter how much training you've had, what it's like to actually go out there and sit in the lineup at Chopu with Gabriel. You know what I mean? I think that changes things, and we've seen that over the years. We saw it with Chloe, saw it with Ethan Ewing this year, we saw it with Jack Freestone the last couple of years. Kids that have these million dollar contracts. It's different once you get out there in a one-on-one heat with guys. and So, I don't know. We'll see. We shall see. But everybody says he's got everything it takes. I'm just holding out. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply the isa and the wsl have come together and in agreement with how and when the athletes for olympic surfing is is going to unfold oh yeah i saw the article i didn't read it so there's going to be 40 surfers at the Tokyo Olympics. Okay. 4-0. Okay. 20 surfers are going to qualify via the ISA. Okay. And 18 via the WSL's championship tour. That leaves two slots for the host nation Japan to fill as they please. Okay. So it's basically split down the middle. So my question to you is, will a non-CT surfer even make the quarterfinals mm. of the Olympics? Will it just be a CT festival? I think so. 
I'm going to read something to you that may interest you. And if it doesn't, if I start boring you, just interrupt me. Stephen Bradbury, do you know this guy? No. Stephen Bradbury is best known for his memorable and unlikely gold medal win in the men's short track 1,000 meter event at the Salt Lake City 2002 Winter Olympic Games. Speed skating. Okay. Bradbury won his heat convincingly, his first heat in the 1,000 meters, posting a time. However, it appeared that his run through the Olympics would end when the draw for the quarterfinals was made. Bradbury was allocated to the same race as Apollo Ono, the favorite from the host nation, and Mark Gagnon. (laughs) I'm butchering (laughs) that name. Mark from Canada, and he was the defending world champion. Only the top two of these three from each race will proceed to the semifinals. Bradbury finished third in this race and thought to himself to be eliminated. But the skater from Canada, Marc Aignan, was disqualified for obstructing another racer, allowing Stephen Bradbury to advance to the semifinals. So here's this skater that's making this move through to Olympic stardom, and he wasn't supposed to. Right. After consulting with his coach, Bradbury's strategy for the semifinal onwards was to just cruise behind his opponents and hope that they crashed. As he realized he was slower and could not match their raw pace. His reasoning was that risk-taking by the favorites could cause a collision due to a, a racing incident. And if two or more skaters fell, the remaining three would all get medals. And that, as he was slower than his opponents, trying to challenge them directly would only increase his own chances of falling. Bradbury said that he was satisfied with his result and felt that as the second oldest competitor in the field, he was not able to match his opponents in the four races on the same night. So he's going into the semis and the finals going, I'm just hoping for a crash and then I'll just skate through. Full turtle in the hair scenario. Perfect. Yeah. In a semifinal race, Bradbury was in last place, well off the pace. The other medal favorites powering on. However, three of the competitors in the semifinal, defending champion from South Korea, multiple Olympic medalists from China, and another guy from Canada all crashed, paving the way for the Australian to take first place and advancing him through to the final. Setting him up, David, the unlikely event is occurring here. In the final, Bradbury was again well off the pace when all four of his competitors, Apollo Ono, another guy, blah, 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 crashed out in the final corner while jostling for the gold medal. This allowed the Australian, who was around 15 meters behind with only 50 meters to go, to avoid the pileup and take the victory. Bradbury raised his arms aloft in complete disbelief and amazement at the unlikely circumstances of his victory. A shocked Bradbury became the first person from any Southern Hemisphere country to win a Winter Olympic event. After a period of delay, the judges upheld the result and did not order a re-race confirming Bradbury's victory. Bradbury became a bit of a cult hero in Australia. And when somebody comes from behind unexpectedly and wins, it's called doing a Bradbury. It's almost a cultural euphemism okay doing a bradbury is there a bradbury in the isa uh in the olympics in japan in 2020 for the surfing could some guy from the isa some guy from say costa rica yeah carlos go carlos muñoz see i mean no way mar mcgonical i'd root for him <laughs> there you go <laughs> you like that scott i mean digging deep 
Could one um, of these guys beat a WSL competitor? I don't think it's. I don't think it's unlikely, but I'll tell you what, it's not exciting. Like the story of coming from behind and winning is a great story. Tale as old as time. We all root for that guy. However, watching the competition go down, that is not exciting. You want to see the guys battling it out for the gold and crashing and burning, or getting the hero status because they outskated the other guy or whatever, outsurfed the other guy. So while when it happens it's a rare case and you can kind of find the storyline in it it doesn't make for the most exciting competitive viewing yes and many you know after Bradbury's win many uh, I don't know if I want to say antagonists but people in the press basically said hey you know it's kind of a cool fun story but at the end of the day that's not what we wanted to see we want to see the top two guys going at it the best athletes in that sport going for the win and so if the ct guys are the best athletes in the world and that's what you're arguing and i would agree that that seems to be the case why not just have all ct surfers well Well, obviously not all nations then get represented exactly but i think that um even if there's phenomenal surfers from those other countries there's also the element of just competitive um tactic that the CT surfers have a lot more reps under their belt, surfing heats and surfing competitively, and there's no faking that. You know, there's there's not a lot of just you're naturally um, you have a natural acumen for surfing heats. There's no such thing as that. You have to actually learn it and try it and get a lot of reps under your belt. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm trying to think now. Here's I'm trying to think of a CT surfer that actually has a legit shot at what at winning the olympic gold medal a CT i mean a, uh, an isa surfer oh. an isa surfer and carlos Minos could be that guy there so there could be a couple guys that um have been on the qs for a long time that never made the ct level that would thrive in that environment like right. mark lacomere representing france or something right. like that good good um, example yeah brazil there's probably a handful of brazilian dudes who have been on the qs for a really long time so if you've ever been in a CT event, Mark Lacamoire has been in a CT event as a... As a uh, Wild card. Yeah. Then you don't qualify in our little rule here. You, you have to be a true ISA competitor that's never been in a CT event. You can be a QS guy. I wonder if there's some guys who have chosen free surfing as a career that would end up competing in the Olympic, like Dave Rostovich. Ireland or something. Or Dave Rostovich. Uh, he wouldn't actually compete, I don't think. No. But as an example, Craig Anderson, something right. like that, who came in and just threw a complete wrench in the works and, like, dominated. That would be kind Dion of... Dion Aegeus, you know. Right. Something. Who's a guy that could... Because Kanoa, although he's a CT, he could claim Japan. Who's a guy that could claim a nation that is mind-blowing... You know, that surprises you, like Craig Anderson, who knew he was Norwegian, you know? <laughs> like, right. Okay, that's a good one. You know, who are those guys that can go, oh, I've got dual citizenship. A, Cana- a lot of Australians have dual citizenship. Right. Because of the whole commonwealth of the UK thing. Yeah, I was thinking Glenn Hall for Ireland, but he's been on the CT. Uh, what if one of the Canadians, like the Brewilers or something? Yeah. And then there's this whole thing where the Olympics allows athletes that are nationless does it yeah you know like if you're a, how can you be nationless if you're a refugee like if you're from syria or something and you're an athlete and you but you can't compete because there's just no 
infrastructure. They, mm. they have a whole group of people who walk with just the Olympic. In fact, the Russians this year in one of, I think it's the 2020 Japan Olympics, the Russians aren't allowed to compete. I know. I told they're not allowed to compete. So they're the athletes in any category. They're not allowed to compete. Right. Because of doping. So the ones that piss clean can compete with under the Olympic flag, not the, and so if they win a medal, they play the Olympic, um, you know, that's interesting. Okay. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I heard that news story and I wasn't sure if it was like, from the onion or something you know what I mean? it was it wouldn't be beyond us to like quote onion news stories as legit because they're like their hockey team for example is always a contender you know like yeah how are they not going to have a hockey team in the olympics i don't think they are yeah crazy so anyway we'll see how that goes but um Stu nettle on swellnut had some pretty good insight into this whole isa wsl thing and um, you should probably go on there and take a peek at it and that's where I got a lot of this information. It was a pretty good read. Basically kind of saying, you know, um, it was a chance for them to, to mend fences. You know, like okay. they had mended fences last year and kind of went, let's work together. But they finally boiled it down, you okay. know. So we'll see how it plays out. One thing I wanted to mention that uh, has happened since the Pipe Masters finished was with that Kelly Slater, um, John or uh, Gabriel Medina interference situation did you see kelly took to instagram and posted the actual wsl's rule yes 154.09 yes using priority yes and quote it's an unsportsmanlike interference is the way that it's listed in the book and it is exactly what gabriel did to kelly i know so gabriel should have technically been called for the interference in that heat even though the wsl judges didn't and then kelly um put a bunch of silly emojis with the rule and called it the Rio de Janeiro filter, which I thought was a, <laughs> oh a solid zing. I actually saved that when he, when I've he got put it. it. I did a screenshot of it because I, I thought too. it was tremendous. I'm going to read it to you. Kelly, in his own words, wrote, a surfer with priority has every right to take a wave from you if he wants to use that wave. When used just to block it becomes a different story people pointed out that i did this to joel parkinson are correct but i used the wave and got a score on it i also i was also sitting exactly on the spot i caught all of my good waves from that way joel paddled much deeper to the up the point to try to find something under my priority whether or not i wanted this wave whether he was there or not, I wanted this wave. So it was a different scenario than what Gabriel Medina did to me. Gabriel was entitled to use his priority, but he went straight and he even went left into me on the right, on a good right. So the judges could have deemed that a blocking interference by him. I understand he was going for a world title and had to do everything necessary to win a heat. Good on him. No hard feelings at all. On to the next. I found it humorous more than anything. Yeah. I... I kind of call BS on a couple of things. First of all, why have the rule if you're not going to enforce the rule? Screw the rule. Throw the rule out. I mean, you have to enforce these rules. The NFL has friggin' replay to, and they so will. So do we. And they will enforce the rule. Yeah. And I also call BS on Kelly saying it's cool, whatever. At the end, there. What did he exactly say? I understand he, he says, was going. So I understand he was going for a world title and had to do everything necessary to win each heat. Good on him. No hard feelings well, at see, all. He did. No, there are hard feelings, or you wouldn't have posted this. Good point. And he didn't do everything in his power. He did things against what you know. He shouldn't have done that. Like right. if he knew the rules, he would have known at that point that he was breaking the rules and lessening his chance of winning a world title. Mm-hmm. I, I think this should be enforced. I think they should go back. 
and they should say, hey, you know what? Your points, we're changing the points, blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, Patrick Adowskis <laughs> might affect you. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? But I do think so, they should enforce these things. Why abs- have them? How absolutely. can you count on them? Well, okay, the reason why it wasn't enforced, I would guess, is there's never the same exact scenario twice. So you set these objective rules, and then when these variables come up, you f- try to fit them into your objective prism that you've built but you have to then reanalyze the tape watch the replay as you said and then apply these things in retros retroactively and i think that in this scenario there's waves continually coming before they can actually pull up the rule book and find them kelly's now taking off priorities already switch all these things are changing and the world title's on the line, and we only have one day to get this event finished because the swell window's closing. Then you're not a professional sports agency, and you don't know what you're doing. You, you've got to have the resources But to don't be you able agree to... that's why? I do agree that so, perhaps that's why. So then I think that they need to... They've resurfed heats. At J-Bay, they resurfed two heats because of situations. I don't think you resurf at this point. The, the, the damage was done. Now he knows not to do that. In the amount of time that elapses when they pull up the rule book and deem the actual thing that should have happened priorities flip-flopped a bunch of times sets have come and gone and here's the thing as soon as so it happened as soon as it happened people like yourself that are really savvy on it were chiming in about this and exact Ron Blakey rule himself exactly the commentator in the booth pete mel if goes, he can do it yeah why the hell can't the judges go yeah you're right that's the rule we all know it because we study it because we're the professional judges pete mel aired on the side of gabe medina and was like oh he used his priority to block kelly that's that's allow, you're allowed to do that. You and then Ronnie immediately came on and said, yeah. yeah, but isn't there another rule in the rule book that says you're not allowed to use your priority strictly for the sake of blocking? And then Pete Mel wasn't sure and he got on his heels, but Ronnie knew the rule. Exactly. And Ronnie, Ronnie right. knows the rule. We need to enforce yeah. the rule. I mean, you know, that basically kind of backs up what I'm saying. It can be done. Ronnie did it in a matter of seconds. Yeah. And in the end... Gabe didn't win the world title, so it might be a moot point. No, However, I don't think it, it is. isn't a moot point because it affects every. Everyone. It's the butterfly effect. It's like if this one thing changes, Kelly makes it through the heat. By the way, yeah, it would have been great for the WSL to have this controversy. Really, I think we'd still be talking. This would have led the. This would have oh, led the show off. It you would. And Chaz would do like three hours just on this. No, it happened. It happened in the last six days. Like this. This would this still be blowing com- up. But. We would still would find something to complain about with the WSL. In that scenario, we would have been like, "These rules suck. We want to see them surf it off." You know. Well, look, whether the rules suck or not, I'm not arguing the the value of the the rule. I'm what I'm arguing. Once you set the rule, you the rule needs to be enforced. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, there's a lot of rules that can be changed after the season's over, and we reevaluate. Right. You know, but if the rules are there. Let's enforce the rules. Otherwise. Why have the rule? Totally. I mean, other than to get mud on your face when somebody like Kelly or, or Ronnie Blake, he goes, uh, what about this rule here you guys wrote? How much do you love Kelly for posting it and calling it out? Love it. Me too. Absolutely love it. I I don't buy his, oh, I've just got nothing better to do, so I thought I'd chime in. Uh, love you, Gabe. I mean, if you look at the picture that he posted, it's really funny. It's hilarious. Because there's a second place medal around Gabe, around a little surfer emoji. Yeah. There's like a brown-skinned water polo guy <laughs> there's well, a stop sign the yeah the the water polo one was a good zing he had to dig deep for that that emoji because in water polo you're kicking people under the water you know there's lots of unsportsmanlike conduct there's a, it's a creative little thing i'm glad i screen grabbed it yeah i'm glad you did too yeah 
It's hilarious. And I love that at the bottom it says hashtag Rio de Janeiro filter. I know. That's so, so good. good. <laughs> so good. But so my point is I love Kelly for this because um, a lot of professional athletes would shy away from the controversy or from ruffling the feathers of the organization that they're working yeah. within. And he's just like, no, hey, you guys got it wrong. I think the reason why he says, hey, Gabe, all good on you is um, because – He's Kelly has also benefited from a lot of mistakes on the judges' calls in the past as well, and he knows there's so many variables and people are going to make mistakes. So it's that all good be. because mm-hmm. at times it works for me, at times it works against me. It is what it is. All yeah. It, as I think back, I think that's how I took it when I first read yeah. it too. It was kind of like, you know, it's a gray area. Not. But all, I don't think it's that gray. I don't think he's like all good on you, Gabe, for taking advantage of the situation. I think he's like. It's not like shit happens. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what it was, too. Questions for you for 2018. We're moving into the new year. Before we do, did you check the Fantasy Surfer results at the end of the season? I'm sensing that I should not have if I did. What? I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So that means you did and you shouldn't have? I don't know what it means. The answer is no, I did not. How convenient. Oh, man. <laughs> How convenient. Should we just move on to the next story then, Scott? No, go ahead. Let me wallow in my loss. Uh, I wouldn't be bringing it up if I didn't I win. So, I uh, David Scales on Fantasy Surfer. This FantasySurfer.com for any listeners who want to play along. Finished the season with 7,200 points. Floatergate, which is Scott Bass's uh, handle, finished the season with 69 89, 6,989 points, and I got 7,200. So I beat you by 311 points, Scott, for the wow. whole season. That's pretty close. We're so. equally horrible at this, apparently. Uh, yeah, but I'll take my 100 bucks now. <laughs> I've, got, I've got 100 Ethereum, Ether coins for you. Just kidding. We didn't bet. No. I was going to see if I could squeeze 100 bucks out of you, though. No, but we set two bets that I did not take for the Pipe Masters. One was Josh Kerr winning the event. The other one was Kelly Slater. I said he's going to lose in the third round. You said semifinals. We were both wrong, but I would have owed you 200 bucks if I took both those bets. Man. So I'm glad that I didn't. So you won the hypothetical bets, but I won the numbers bet. And I did beat you at Pipe. 1,060 points to your 885 points. So I'm going to take those wins, yeah. rub them in through the entire off season okay. until we meet again in March. That's fine. That makes sense. Yeah. Were you actually setting your team each season yes oh, okay. each game yeah and I, unfortunately I'm, yes okay. i was because <laughs> your pipe team i wasn't sure no I, I i hemmed and hawed i was pretty stoked because i had who did i have on my pipe team that was doing good oh i had ian Gavet. did you really yeah i had ian Gavet. Why, i was like look at him go look at him go look at him go that's i had jeremy and kanoa and oh. i felt the same way with both those i was like these are my two differentials that right. are going to because everybody has john everybody has gabe yeah. but like these guys i figured because yeah. it's a pipe master and a pipe finalist but they were both cheap you know? Yeah, good call. So, yeah. All right, what were you going to say? Questions. I have a couple of questions for you for okay. 2018. Um, the first one is, I don't know if it's a question, but will it be the case, David, that Kelly's wave pool happens, the contest on the WSL, the WCT happens this year in September at the KS Wave Machine, the surf ranch up there. Will it be the case that Kelly's pool is, in fact, fascinating to ride, but will it be fascinating to watch? In so much as pipeline for your average person is fascinating to watch, but certainly not fascinating to ride for the layperson. <laughs> Definitely not. 
Will it be fascinating to watch? That's my question for you. No. Not and and I, when I say that, the caveat is, of course, the first time there will be some fascination in that it was the first time. But over a period of five years, will the wave pool be fascinating to watch in the way that the pipeline is fascinating to watch? Every night for the last three months when I go to sleep, this is all that I think about. Right. Is how this wave pool will affect us. And I've come up with a very thorough answer to this question, Scott. Yes. I think to say fascinating or not is just black or white, and there's going to be a lot of gray. So what it's going to do is it will be fascinating because it will allow us to come up with an objective criteria of judging. If every wave, if they decide that every wave is exactly the same and they're not offering the surfers variety in their waves, then you will be able to determine which rail is which turn is the deepest you know who sinks the most rail who gets the most inches of air out of the water who gets the longest barrel who gets the deepest barrel who gets the deepest and longest barrel combined and you can come up with a very objective criteria and just go that was 18.2 second barrel ride versus an 18.1 second barrel ride and it'll come down to a swimming level of nuance in the score line differences you know so that part will allow for the judging to improve but it will not be fascinating to watch surfers play jazz and improv their surfing ability like we get to see in the actual ocean so there is the potential as one astute listener pointed out this era is going to be more akin to supercross where motorcycles used to be raced out in the outdoors and it the sport's going to diverge into Here's a Supercross stadium experience, but then there will always be enduro racing, and there will always be the freestyle guy, or not freestyle, but, you know. Um, yeah, freestyle, big jump guy. Yeah, but the freestyle can exist in the Supercross, too. They can yeah. manufacture that. So I think that really more than fascinating or not, it's just going to be a divergence of the sport where it's done this way, and if you want to see predictable waves and objective scoring and who can do the highest actual air where they literally pull out a ruler or they have a ruler in the pool and the wave breaks right next to that at the air section and the guy does the air right next to the ruler and you just measure how many like they did on the vert ramp with danny way doing big airs you know um if you want to watch that then you come and watch this event in our stadium but if you want to see jazz being played show up at pipe in December or January or February and watch it and feel the ground rumble. I think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> wow, that's, that, was, that last bit was like a marketing campaign. I told you I've been there every night at bed and I have a notepad right next to bed so when I get it, these thoughts, scribble them down. It's worthy of, uh, of nightly contemplation because I think it's, it, it's pretty deep on a much, on a really... It's on a massive level. Like, will the core fan buy in? Mm -hmm. Of course, I don't think the WSL is concerned with that, and that's fine. That makes sense. I think stadium surfing, the WSL is concerned with the average person on the in their car raising their hand and going, yeah, I would watch that. I don't swim, nor do I surf, but I would watch that. You know what, though? So back... Everything comes back to Dylan, right? To Bob Dylan? <laughs> of course. So I can't help but feel feeble-minded. When, when we start discussing these things, we're missing the bigger picture, always. We're so 
focused on this kind of myopic, like, how will this affect my life? We're overlooking this bigger picture. When you look at guys like Zuckerberg, when he's doing his Facebook thing and like people are offering him a hundred million dollars to buy it. And he's like, no, thanks. I'm, I've got bigger plans. And he's looking at a hundred billion dollars of revenue in the future. So I agree with you. I, I'm, so trying, I, I'm, I'm trying to think bigger. So bigger. here's using the Dylan as the example is his core. We always talk about core. You're alienating the core fan base right, folk, by doing this. The folk fans, the folk were fans were going, you are our guy. We are your only true fans and you're abandoning us. Right. How dare you? And then he goes and does huger, bigger things that connect with more. He grows his core far greater than the folk movement. The folk movement came and went. And Joan Baez is still going to rallies today. Yeah, but and music, like, music is a different animal than competitive surfing. Music, people can relate to music viscerally, internally, whether you play the instrument or not. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the, kind of a bad analogy. I think the analogy is apt. Because it's this core people I, saying you're, aban- right. you're abandoning us. I agree us, with that. And him going, hey guys... I'm, I'm the talent, this. and I'll connect with you. The way that culture is moving, the way that everything's... I'm going to connect with you on this other level down the road. You don't know it yet, but I'm a creative, and I'm going to create this art that you're going to connect with as you mature, as you age, as the culture shifts. I'll be here for you. Come back and check in with me in five so years. So you're saying that Dirk Ziff and the minds at the WSL are Bob Dylan. Yeah, Ziff is Dylan for sure. I mean, kind of, right? Because that's your analogy is that the WSL is Dylan. Yeah. And the WSL is leaving their core of ba- fans. Yes, in this they, analogy, They're reinventing yes. themselves inside this wave pool competitive stadium surfing, and eventually the core fan is going to come back and go, you were right all along. I, I and, agree, yes. And, and we're also saying that in that process, the WSL is going to get a whole new fan base a bunch of you know some surfers but they really need non-surfers to adopt this sport yeah and you're saying that's going to happen yes and i'm suggesting i don't know i think maybe i think the wsl no i think wsl has felt everything that you and i have complained about in the last four years about the limitations of the judging criteria and the ocean delivering us waves when we need them to surf them competitively and they're going okay this is a big picture problem that we've worked our way up to this now we're at a bottleneck where we can't solve for this crisis oh wait yes we can we can create this stadium experience solve for the crisis and yes there will be negative things that spin out of this but guys let's work towards this bigger goal and from making that leap now we will advance board design wetsuit material like judging criteria all these things this will allow us to go down all these new paths that were solved for problems that we've never thought that we'd even have the opportunity to solve for new revenue streams new everything new fan base new and so let's just work towards this bigger picture and then we'll deal with some new fallout but really we'll advance things in ways that you could never have anticipated before that's what i, think. I actually think the motocross is a better analogy um and so my question to you is how is how is supercross doing don't know i would think they're doing great i will say this i'm afraid of motorcycles me too i don't like them i don't dislike them but i'm not a rabid fan but I have gone to Supercross, yeah, and I have enjoyed it. It's loud, it's fun, it's exciting, it's high speed, yeah. more or less. But there's action in the turns, there's passing, yeah. and there's there's competitive. You can see the competitiveness that's going on. There's offense and defense, frankly. Totally, it's yeah. a true sport oh, in yeah. that sense. 
Um, so in 1969, Bob Dylan had a motorcycle crash. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back. To I'm just kidding. No, I'm but just saying I, that I was one of I'm I'm the classic future WSL fan. Yeah, on the Supercross side of things, like mm-hmm. I've never got on a bike in my life, but I appreciate it and I get it and. I've gone and I will go again and I will in fact go see like speedway racing. I like speedway right. racing. So I have a feeling that the Can the WSL do that? Can they convert the Scott Bass of the world that doesn't own a surfboard, that doesn't surf, but sees the sport in it. Uh, yes. Appreciates the sport in it. As you grow any business or anything, there's a million pain points and negotiation points along the way. So they might misstep and fail completely but i think ultimately the answer is yes they can yes they potentially could negotiate those things well enough to have all these different versions of the sport and i would argue whoever in the motorcycle you know true purist version of it 30 years ago riding out in the woods in the desert that was really griping about the supercross thing i think at this point they're much they're not griping at all they're dead <laughs> there's some of them are still dead. around. I was around when Supercross was invented, and I was riding motorcycles at that time too. So I think that they have abandoned any animosity that they had towards Supercross, and they recognize now Supercross can exist, and I can still go have my experience as I once had it, and it doesn't even affect me. And it, like I said, if anything, it's helped improve helmet technology and safety and motorcycle brands that are available now. You know, whatever. Well, there's certainly an unlimited amount of space to go ride a motorcycle, too, if you want to go and live the dream of your favorite Supercross guy. Yeah. Whereas, as we know, there's limited resource regarding waves in the natural environment. Limited, but still and untapped so space. Those that are paranoid are saying, oh, this is just going to add to the crowd factor. I would suggest maybe, maybe not, maybe don't think of it so self-centered you know from such a self-centered place but i it's going to be interesting i kind of think that what's going to happen and i've said this before ziff and those guys are going to get the wsl to this stadium place and it's initially the first three or four or five years is going to be pretty phenomenal growth and at that point right at its peak ziff's going to sell the thing it's going to get sold to some corporation i don't know who is going to buy it somebody's going to buy this thing known as stadium surfing and all that surrounds it and i sense that there's going to be a flattening a flatlining and whoever stewards this thing is either going to push it to a new level yeah i mean i guess this is obvious or it's going to drop off and i sense that when you buy a sport because you see profits in it and and you don't do it for the right reasons, people get that and it falls off. And it's kind of like hair bands. Like Dylan basically, like a hair band is basically the bad side of Dylan plugging in his folk guitar. Yeah, that's true. There's always going to be that. But I think, like I said, there's a million different negotiation points. And I think being profit-driven is actually a positive. I think that actually incentivizes and moves it forward. If you're just going solely on ideology. No, well then... You're, you wouldn't be in this position no. anyway. It's all a business. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that, that's a whole nother topic is culturally, should we divorce ourselves from this? You know, if you're a surfer, do you divorce? Like there's some that are just like, F that and F everything it stands for. And I'm going to go surfing. Oh, by the way, thanks for inventing the leash. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like that argument to me that argument if you're going to go that route then you need to boil it down to go cut down a piece of, of you know a tree and build yourself 
a surfboard out of wood and don't wear a wetsuit. It could, although some of those innovations happened without competitive surfing, but it's, Chris Morrow's argued back 10 years ago in Surfer Magazine that a lot of the inventions that the so-called purist appreciates and uses is, is because of professional surfing. Yeah. So it's interesting. That's actually an argument that we would need to excavate thoroughly it's an interesting and, and, one. A, and approach it after we've done some research and come up with some good stuff. And I would argue maybe even further, not only uh, if it wasn't because of competitive surfing, a lot of them were profit driven as well. You know, it's, I think everything's profit driven depending on how you define profit. Well, in one end, in one case, there's just a guy who wants to go out and ride waves. And so he wants to ride more waves. So he just gets a leash to prevent his board from, you know, so he can catch more waves. But there becomes a flashpoint where somebody goes, hey, other people want a leash as well. And I can sell them a leash. I can make it for a dollar and sell it for two. So anyway, what's your next point in 2018 moving forward in addition to the wave pool? Um, when is the Andy Irons movie slash story coming out? This was a big Kickstarter campaign in 2016. They said it was going to be out January of 2017. It's now basically January of 2018. This whole thing has fallen on its face. I haven't heard a word about this thing. You'd think that during the Billabong Pipe Masters in memory of Andy Irons, there would have been some mention of it. Do you have any insight on this? Will this movie ever come out? I don't. I talked to the guy involved in it. Uh, Enoch? Who's, yeah, and I don't. I didn't ask him about that, um, and I should have. So I would imagine it hit a hiccup because you're right. There's been way too much lag time, and it was in post-production when they were doing the Kickstarter. It was to like fund the post-production. Basically, they ran out of money. So I don't know. Yeah, good question. Another question for 2018. The Mavericks contest now being run by the WSL. In my opinion, it must be held in the day of days for each season. Right. Large, consistent, mid-period swell that's just bombing. A lot of times with this event in the past, they've had these so-called warm-up days, and you're like, God, it's massive and gnarly, and incredible footage comes of it. And then they hold the contest on sort of the sunny day when it's barely breaking, and you're kind of like, okay, right. some of the sets are real Mavericks, but... It's not the day that you want to see, like the day you get at Jaws when they hold the event at Jaws or whatever, at least in the past. So will they hold the event now that the WSL is the steward of this event in that day of days rather than going, oh, well, everyone's here to free surf it, so let's hold off and get a bunch of good footage. Yeah. I think the WSL will try their best to run it in the day of days. I think last year there was five day of days, you know, um, so hopefully they get that again but that's not a guarantee and there's some years that don't even have the day of days you know so i don't know but yeah it's it would be a uh, shame if they didn't get that opportunity but that is again the risk we run without running events in the stadium like which is what makes it so exciting well i don't i don't think it's a risk i think if you do the surf the waves of the real stars and you have a waiting period of three months or whatever it is and the day of days comes you hold the event you do but if it doesn't come that's the risk yeah but that's surfing exactly that's my point yeah yeah um what you got any other are you done are you ready are you no i got i got musty moment duke and coop i've got a duke probably yours too maybe matt hueys 
No. Oh, no. Tell me this, though. Yeah, so the Matt Hueys on Christmas Day at Deba, where the Tweed River runs out, some people got in trouble, got in a rip current, swept out to sea. The Matt Hueys um, saved some people, but sadly, a 22-year-old man tragically died. Another eight people were rescued. Whoa. Yeah. So who's the Mad Hueys and who, like, the this Mad organization Hueys, jumped in the water? The Mad like, Hueys are these two brothers, right? Okay. The Harringtons, right? Harrow. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can Breno. Oh, God. We're going to alienate all of our Australian <laughs> listenership right now. Well, I just mean when the you The Harrington say- twins, known for their jackass-style stunts, helped lifeguards rescue the group who got in trouble Christmas Day. But they were unable to save the 22-year-olds. And they vented their frustration because some surfers just stood by and watched no as lifeguards and other surfers, including the Harrington twins, went out to save the, these people. They're pissed off. They went on Instagram and basically said, hey, those of you who watched as this thing went down and didn't jump in and try to help, screw you. And they used stronger language than that. Really? Yeah. So they are my Dukanamoku for... Um, attempting and helping to save some people but sadly somebody passed away as others watched and those people are my kook oh okay one in the same the one kook story and the i got a kook and a dude i like it it's a good one um so i was gonna give these like really philosophical answers for kook and duke like my kook is ego this year because those are things that have blocked me my duke is like i don't know humility that john john flores exhibits you know like he doesn't really like take to instagram blah 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 but i'm not my duke is jeremy flores for being such a badass and doing things his way and bending the criteria to his own just grit and determination and surfing ability and all that sort of stuff my kook of the year scott is a little unexpected skimboarding on waves (laughs) like I want to get behind the skimboard thing and I'm all for skimboarding like where it, it's done in the shoreline and then they surf, they skim. Wait, hold on. They skim into a wave and then like do a snap and then get barreled and come out. That's gnarly. But Brad Domke, who surfed Puerto Escondido, he released a new video with, of him in Mexico riding one wave and he combos the crap out of the thing on a skimboard with no fins. And Tom Curran, of course, is a fan of Brad's. And so Tom's been riding the skimboard for the last couple of years. And so I feel like we all got behind it because Tom anointed it. But Tom's riding the skimboard. It's a modified skimboard, and it has fins on it. So it's no longer really a skimboard. And we've all just accepted it as being like an uh, acceptable form of riding waves. When I watched this Domkey video the other day, I had a complete about face. I did a 180. I was like, wait a second. I was giving this quote-unquote sport a pass for the last two years because of Tom Curran. I'm watching Domkey ride it going... That guy's incredibly talented. He rips way harder than me, and he is riding the worst possible piece of equipment. Like, he he could ride any other surf craft in the world, and it would look, number one, more graceful. It'd be a better use of economy of motion, a better use of energy, a better use of the wave. He looks ridiculous. Arms flailing about, ollieing, doing shove-its, like all this stuff that just looks so silly uh, it was a waste of a wave it was a waste of everything and i go yes he's more talented but what's sad is there's going to be now a bunch of people in the lineup next year flailing around on skim boards blocking me losing their board spinning it at me like while i'm trying to duck dive like this is a scourge we're gonna see a new scourge and i'm not for it 
Well, your ability to create future damage and future fear is incredible. I'm going to give you credit for that. Being concerned about a, a slew of new skin borders at Huntington Pier dropping in from the pier. Exactly. <laughs> Acid dropping or like the blood transferring. that you have yeah. and that I have is the lack of style. That's really, I think, where this comes from. If I, if I may excavate your resentment. It is. The guy's got not very good style. I've seen him surf on a board, and he ripped, and he was doing airs and air reverses and stuff. And even well, then, there, didn't really have. There's good a style. lot of guys that rip and yeah. do airs that just right. have hideous style. Right. At the end of the day, style for many of us, especially those of us like you and I who grew up in the Tom Curran era, style's the most important thing. Yeah. It's the most important thing. Couldn't agree more. One of my, f- I think, the second greatest surfer in the world, just below John John Florence, is Rob Machado. Hmm. Hard John argue. John Florence killer style. Rob yeah. Machado killer style. Yeah. Totally rips. You could put John, you could put Rob Machado in the finals at Pipe, or at the finals at Snapper Rocks, and he could win it. Yeah. And he's forty five or whatever. Yeah. And style is super important. Tom Curran, Michael Peterson, Nat Young, Wayne Lynch. Yeah. All of our icons. The reason that we love them is because their style is insane. Yeah. The reason Craig Anderson surfs so good is because he respects style. You mentioned a guy who's got one of the greatest styles in the world, Dave Rostovich. Yep. Dane Reynolds. Yep. All these guys have got great style. The reason we don't like skimboarding isn't so much the skimboarding, it's the guy that's doing it. Well, the skimboarding on the waves specifically, skimming in the shore where the skim was designed for, I think that's super relevant and it's progressive. Like the things that they're doing now is way crazier than what they were doing five years ago. The problem I have with him doing it on the wave in this particular video I'll post on spitpodcast.com is it's regressive. In all the ways that we've learned to, you know, incorporate flow, speed, power, flow, style, economy emotion all that sort of stuff it's kind of like when it's anti it's regressive it's a step backwards it's and i and i understand i think tom curran's version of it with the fins is i'm going to reduce things back to the simplest version and find trim fine drive and tom is fine-tuning those things domkey doing it without fins isn't that it's him trying to do the the biggest pop shove it he can do on a wave yeah and i'm going whoa dude that's that is regressive. Yeah, there was a, you know, when, look, we can trace the aerials, aerials back to the 70s and, and Santa Cruz and so forth and so on. But when Christian Fletcher started doing aerials, they were insane. And then a bunch of guys started doing aerials and they looked like shit. Yeah. But but they were doing them. But their styles were hideous or they were just falling or whatever. Or it wasn't incorporated into the flow of the right. wave. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm what I'm getting from this skimboard thing is that I think if you gave Machado or Curran enough time on a skimboard, they're going to make it look killer because they just, that's what they do. They make it. already does. Yeah, exactly. And you get a guy with a hideous style and yeah, he's kind of breaking new ground and Brad's doing things that are insane and they're mind blowing and they're gutsy, but they just don't look good. Yeah. And that's kind of what we have here. It's like we have guys doing aerials in 1981 that just don't look that good. But, yeah, they're doing them. And so, okay, yeah. It is, but it feels like a step backward. Sometimes you take a step backward to take a step forward. Yeah. I think with Curran, I don't know this, but I think his fascination with it is he's trying to get a place where 
he just wants his feet on the wave face and he wants to get as small as possible so that his feet so he's actually walking on water interesting take as much of the board out of the equation as possible yeah it's not so much that he's skimboarding as i think he's more like i just want my feet to feel as if there's nothing underneath them and i'm just moving i think that he also is at uh talked about wanting speed and it's like this thing goes so fast there's no rocker and they're so thin they can ride super high you can't yeah Yeah. super super high in the way face yeah i saw a really awesome instagram comment from joel tudor this week rob machado posted a video of him like just basically um trimming flowing flowing on the left right i saw that and then one of our listener or then joel said like some positive comment like hey that's rad one of our listeners i know that listens to the show commented to joel and was like hey your footage in I forget the film. It was a Thomas Campbell film. Yeah. Was, was epic. It was... Um, and, and Joel commented back. He goes, yeah, it's funny. Was it the present? I don't remember no. which film it was yeah. specifically, but Joel commented back to our listener and he's like, hey, um, yeah, you know, it's a funny story. Rob and I were out there surfing and we noticed Thomas Campbell was like filming puddles. Like he wasn't even training the camera on the surf. He was like, had it focused down and he was filming the foot, the trees in the background and all sorts of stuff. He wasn't even filming our surfing. So I caught a wave and I went in and I was like, Hey Thomas, what are you doing, dude? Why are you filming the puddles? And Thomas is like, yeah, you guys are just going straight down the line. Like, what do you, why don't you do something? And Joel laughed at him. Joel was like, dude, are you, you're kidding me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Film us surfing, buddy. <laughs> and I don't know, like I, the film turned out beautiful and like Thomas clearly knows what he's doing as well. Yeah. But it's a hilarious concept that yeah. you watch Rob surf that left and it never dawned on me that he only went down the line. All that dawned on me was that trim looks beautiful and like the flow looks beautiful and the speed is unbelievable. I didn't notice that he didn't do a turn. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday in the water, the subtleties of what Joel and Rob, I surf with Joel a lot. What they do on waves, the subtleties of it will never be encapsulated or appreciated in the WSL competitive form in any competitive format even in film even in well, video in film, it, it can be I mean, it you can watch be it to a greater degree I mean, but you not I, to the degree that you're talking about well, when you sit there and you watch the guy coming down the line at you it I realize it all the time there's no way to capture this the experience of paddling out and watching that is the only way yeah I mean being there is insane be, you know I the was more thinking that look just because you're not going down to the bottom, doing a 90 degree bottom turn up to the wave face, busting out the fins, spinning your board around, doesn't mean it's not insane, beautiful, gorgeous, jazz-like no. surfing. No. And there's so much of that that goes on that's incredible that is just great surfing. I mean, great surfing isn't always, nor should it ever be, this judging criteria that I mean it reminded me of what Jeremy Flores said on the judging stand I mean yeah you know it's, anyway I, I'm gonna I, I agree but that for me you said it should never be boiled down to this judging thing I disagree with that it can be in this one version no, that we I, enjoy let me over restate here. it it can be and I do appreciate yeah. it but my point is is that that's the sport exactly they put it over here yeah. a lot of people get it like that's the end all be all right. that if the WSL goes to stadium surfing that it's somehow it's going to ruin surfing yeah. I, what what yeah. are you talking about it's just these guys over here in a pool right. riding waves who cares or I do care either or but don't let it 
own you. No. You know, it's something that people get so caught up in just, it's going to ruin it forever and I quit. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, good. See, <laughs> See you later. I'm going to go ride my longboard Can by myself that? somewhere and enjoy the shit out of it. Can I get that in writing? Yeah. Like, please quit. Don't come back into the ocean. WSL is not the be all end all. No, right. I, I know 99% of us realize that, but right. there are some that I see on you know, social media that are chiming in about how horrible it's all going to be and it's just this big profit-driven blah, blah, blah. Look, you going to work is profit-driven, dude. Everything is profit-driven. Well, also, it's a lot easier to have keyboard courage and sit there and make these radical claims and, like, behind the computer and yeah. take very polarizing sides of an argument. Um, and that just makes it more fun, you know what I, I mean? And I think what happens is that when surfing becomes so ingrained in who you are and what you're about, you're going to be disappointed if if the, the 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 people that are putting out the culture, so to speak, that are the arbiters. Thank you, the arbiters of the culture. And right now, frankly, it's the WSL and Surfline. And luckily, there's Instagram, which gives us the ability to see it through a different prism. And podcasters. Right. Thank you. But. You can't let surfing own your space and, and who you are as an individual so much so that you're upset by stadium surfing or yeah. whatever. You know, like, y you need to go Bob Dylan, bro. Plug in. I, I like the upset part, too, though. That's that's my personal uh, conundrum is I agree with you uh, philosophically, but then I love getting riled up about it, too. I love that you and I have heated debates about nonsensical, completely subjective, because we care that much. Yeah, I, I care, but but you and I both know that we can unplug the guitar and go listen to Joan Baez. But when I go to sleep at night, that's what I think about. I think about that debate. You know what I mean? So well, I will pray for you. <laughs> While you're going to sleep at night, you're going to think about me thinking about wave pools? No, uh, but I will pray for you. Um, my my must-see moment, by the way, this was a very underviewed thing. Stab Magazine did like their top 10 underviewed stories, things that they thought were important that yeah. they didn't get enough clicks on. And one of them, sure enough, slipped under my radar. They were doing this Culture Shifters documentary series, video documentary series, and they did one on Jake Burkhardt, who is the... Um, main cameraman for vice the media outlet mm -hmm. and he came from a surf background and i used to watch he did a video series for vice called high shreddability 10 years ago and they did little interviews with people and they were really well done real small stories but well done and um this culture shifters thing was on jake and he's been with vice since the very very early days and he works every trip that the co-owner shane smith co-founder goes on jake is on those trips with shane has been to north korea a bunch of times been to um 69 countries in the last 10 years almost been killed a bunch of times really really crazy crazy stories so it's just a documentary piece on jake burkhard and it's not about surfing it's just about this very interesting human being who also surfs they show a little bit of footage of him at zuma but it's neither here nor there it's just like we started off the show we don't, we're not here to talk about surfing. We're here to talk about how it infects our lives and other people's lives and the role it plays as therapy and that sort of thing. And this was why the Jake Burkhardt piece was so interesting. So I'll, I'll repost that on Spit Podcast. Okay, cool. Now, my must-see moment is this Netflix documentary. Oh. It's called Hero Dream Sushi. Oh, Have you I seen this? I loved it. Wasn't that cool? Hero as in J-I-R-O. Right, which yeah. is a, a sushi chef, a world-renowned su yeah. sushi chef, a three-star Michelin sushi chef. Yep. 
Santa. Anyway. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please check out J-I-R-O, Hero Dream Sushi Netflix documentary. It's so really fascinating. His restaurant has like eight seats or something? Yeah, eight seats. Is that seats. what it is? Um, Maybe less. And he, when they, like obviously the Japanese culture is just like, simplifying everything and repetition and hard take, work hard work and taking your expertise to this unbelievable level that nobody else would even try to get to yes and he they do this long kind of uh exploration of him making sushi rice rice is something you could throw in the rice cooker two parts water one part rice and just let it do its own thing no yeah. no, no he's dedicated 60 years of his life to perfecting the rice well, right? everything about the sushi. Everything. But yeah. the rice is the most simple version of like... And that's the other thing. S sushi is just raw fish, right? There's nothing to it. No, no, no. No, yeah. There's no. temperature and yeah. how you press it and how you pick it and how you cut it. The knife you use to cut it. All know. of these things. Yeah. Phenomenal documentary. I definitely stand by that. Now, if I can one-up you, Scott. Yes. The director, filmmaker, his name is David Gelb. Yes. He, he went on to do an entire documentary series on Netflix um, called Chef's Table. Okay. That is phenomenal. I want to see this. Yeah. They, yeah. they profile individual chefs around the world, and they do one-hour documentary, and it's six parts in the season. I think they have two seasons now. It's just as good as that, but with different styles. Cool. It's really, really I good. I want to see that. Yeah. I, I was uh, I'll turned on to, to... I watched Hero two days ago. And it was really cool. So good. All awesome, right. dude. Wellspitpodcast.com is where you see all the videos and links to articles. Everything we discuss, there's a donation platform. Scott and I, uh, we work for free. We just bring a bucket with us for you to throw change in. So throw some change into the Spit Podcast bucket. Yeah, please do. Um, on boardroomshow.com, you can see oh, yeah. coming soon a, a um, Boards I'm Riding review. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a board in the back of my truck now. We can take a picture of it if you want. Um, Bill Menard shaped it for me. It's a really cool, what I call a relaxed fit speed demon. And, um, and of course, the Boardroom Show coming up in May of 2018. And um, you can get information on that. Have you advertised to the icons of foam? Uh, no, I'm kind of waiting until after the holiday season okay. before I do any marketing. People are getting flooded with so much shit in their inbox. It's like, you know what? I'm going to wait. Smart. And in January, we will be marketing hard, and you will hear on this show Yeah. Um, more about the boardroom show coming up. So, if, yeah, but if people have, tr they need to arrange travel plans for it. May is the weekend set. Yeah, May 5 and 6th, first weekend in May. And we always have tons of fans that show up. Uh, Scott and I are, are both there, and that becomes a fun kind of sub uh, plot of the show is just hanging out with fans. Right. Spit fans. Spit fans. Okay. Until next time, adios and aloha. And I was standing on the side of the road, rain falling on my shoes. Heading out for the East Coast, Lord knows I've paid some dues. Getting through, tangled up in blue. She was married when we first met, soon to be divorced. I helped her out of a jam, I guess, but I used a little too much force. We drove that car as far as we could, abandoned it out west. Split up on the docks at night, both agreeing it was best. And she turned around to look at me as I was a 
walking away I heard her say over my shoulder We'll meet again someday on the avenue Tangled up in blue Job in the great north woods Working as a cook for a spell But I never did like it all that much And one day the axe just fell So I drifted down to New Orleans Where I lucky with a be employed Working for a while on a fishing boat Right outside of Delacroix But all the while I was alone The past was close behind I seen a lot of women But she never escaped my mind And I just grew This place and I stopped in for a beer I just kept looking at the side of her face And the spotlight so clear and Later on when the crowd thinned out I was just about to do the same She was standing there in back of my chair I said, Timmy, don't I know your name? I muttered something underneath my breath She studied the lines of my face I must admit, felt a little uneasy When she bent down to tie the laces of my shoes But me, I'm still on the road. 